0: Ideas are a dime a dozen, intelligence is is a dime a dozen, And, and you will have a lot of smart people working on a lot of incredible ideas. But if you're unable to get back up when you have the inevitable series of setbacks that everyone will, then it will be very hard to succeed. Hello,
1: everyone. My name is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering business, ideas, entrepreneurship, investing, and life. We take an unconventional approach that leans into thoughts and ideas that aren't often publicly discussed. We'd love to hear from you at thefortpodcast at gmail.com. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Ford Capital. All opinions expressed by Chris and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Ford Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. Hey guys, it's Chris. Thanks for tuning into The Fort. I have a good friend of mine, Numan Trevetti, on today, the CEO and founder of WattBuy, that is changing the way the average consumer purchases electricity. We cover a wide range of topics from renewable energy to future of electricity, what is wrong with the industry today and the lack of transparency in it. We talk about resilience being the most needed trait in anybody that's in an entrepreneurial venture and much more. Naman and I have had some fascinating conversations about where electricity and the energy industry is headed. And I think you will really enjoy what he has to say today. All right, guys, I'm excited today uh, to bring on a friend of mine, Naman Trevetti, founder and CEO of Buy, a company that Fort Ventures has recently invested in, fascinating concept helping bring a better experience to uh, the retail market uh, and their electricity use. So thank you for coming and joining us today.
0: Yeah, thanks, Chris.
1: Give us a, uh, a little bit of background about who you are and what led you into Buy.
0: Definitely. So, you know, right now I'm the uh, CEO and co-founder of WAPI. I've been working um, in the electricity and energy space for about six or seven years now. Uh, so I actually have been starting this way back since uh, even before college. I got uh, pretty into renewable energy, um, working at a uh, a local group in the Bay Area where I grew up. Um that was called the Silicon Valley Leadership Group. and they're a business trade organization that essentially works on behalf of businesses to promote public policy um, that would be beneficial you know beneficial to all the businesses in the area. I and mean, I was working specifically on um, energy policy and California energy policy and something that would be uh, directly related to something I'd be doing about a decade later uh, but had no idea. Um, so I started working on a project called Community Choice aggregation where, uh, neighborhoods in the Bay Area would be able to actually have a carve out from PG&E, which is the you know big utility that, that runs all of our power, um, and be able to buy into alternative energy uh, for their neighborhood um, as a co-op. Um, so we pushed for uh, um, a lot of neighborhoods to be able to buy in um, to these community choice aggregation plans, um, starting in Marin County, and now there are over 50 neighborhoods in the Bay Area that are able to do this. Wow. Uh, so started with that um, and then I went um, off to school at Georgetown uh, for my undergrad um, and spent about two years off and on working at the White House in the Office of Science and Tech Policy um, where I was working on uh, several things related to federal purchasing of renewable energy, um, using the federal government's ability to guarantee demand to uh, uh, bring down the cost of solar energy um, through, you know, some demand pull mechanisms. Um, you know, and in addition to that, we worked on a lot of federal prize programs. So you know, the idea was uh, we should start paying for the results um, as opposed to paying just for the R&D up front. And if we pay for the results, uh, you know, we can offer prizes along the way for private sector and government to be working together to determine how can we improve the efficiency of battery technology? How can we improve the efficiency Mm -hmm. of solar panels? Um, So there was a Department of Energy sunshot challenge that we were working on uh, putting together. So that was kind of some of the initial kind of policy background um, that I had had found myself uh, getting into with um, energy. Um, And that's where I actually worked on my first um, energy startup uh, with my current co-founder, Ben. Um, The company was called Grid Potential. And we were building smart meters and mobile payment systems for utilities in emerging markets uh, to help the local utilities solve issues of energy theft out in rural regions of the country. Um, So we were working primarily in Haiti, uh, which was uh, not something I was expecting to be doing, but but an incredible experience. And we had these cheap $70 smart meters. um, And and, mobile penetration is through the roof in, in several of these emerging markets. Uh, so the idea was, instead of having the, the current system where a utility might turn off electricity to a whole third of the country, uh, we can install these cheap $70 smart meters on every home. And when you pay your electricity bill, your electricity turns on. But if you don't pay your bill, it'll just turn off for your home. Uh, you don't have to shut it off for a whole portion of the country. Wow. So the idea would be uh, utilities would be more willing to expand out to rural regions where right now, you know, they're very skeptical. Um, you know, they, they may have to deal with people directly plugging into the grid and stealing electricity. Um, and this would kind of be a win-win for everyone involved. Um, so we, we had kind of started with that and, and it was an incredible experience. We had gone down to Haiti a couple of times and worked with the utility um, but in the end it was actually, you know, we, we had end up shutting down that business a combination yep. of, you know, a couple of Americans trying to work in Haiti meant that, you know, we were not getting a lot of the meetings um, right. that we needed, um, and kind of not having deep enough experience in hardware made it pretty difficult to keep our costs down. Um, so, so that was a very kind of adventurous, uh, first foray into, uh, you know, the energy business and then also startups, uh, that had kind of gotten me really into, you know, working in this space.
1: Wow. Um, has has energy renewable energy always been something you were passionate about growing up, or did you did it kind of find you, or did you
0: find it? Um, it was it was a you know a bit of a bit of both. Uh, when I was working in that that first job I had at the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, I uh, you know came across uh, someone that has been a lifelong mentor to me now, um, a lady named Ann Smart. Um, so she was leading the the kind of regulatory arm of the. Uh, group and focused on energy policy in California and, and DC. Um, she basically taught me everything I know about the energy sector. Wow. Uh, so she, back then she was my boss. boss. Now she's uh, one of my board advisors um, wow. on this company. So she has been kind of incredible in teaching me about how the energy space works. Um, and, and I kind of, you know, wanted to, you know, learn everything I could from her. Um, so that's where it really started.
1: Was your first... Um uh, a startup grid potential, uh, the pivot that got you into WAPBI. Um, how? How?
0: What was the gap between that shutting down and by starting? Yeah, so you know, at that, that same time, I was doing some academic work on uh, domestic energy markets and kind of understanding. Uh, you know, maybe maybe doing this abroad as a first jump into the energy business is a little ambitious, okay. um, which is which is great, and, and it was a whole lot of fun. Uh, but you know, what could we do here, and what are some kind of pressing problems in the energy industry here? Um, knowing that it's a you know century-old uh, business that is that is ripe for disruption, um, you know, for us to be able to do something that could be beneficial to to people here. You know, I had studied several states that had begun deregulating their electricity sector. And, you know, essentially what that means is, you know, this is a bit of context there, you know, the the way that electricity gets to your home is in in three different parts. You have the generation of electricity. So coal being burned, uh, you know, solar panels generating electricity, wind power generating electricity. Um, Then you have that electricity that goes on long electricity highways, right? When you're driving, you know, a, a long drive, you'll see the big, uh, you know, wires and poles. That's right. the uh, transmission. Yep. And then finally, that electricity has to be stepped down so that you can use it in your home. Right. Um, so that you can plug in your hair dryer and and uh, you know do everything that you need to do at home. Um, so that's the distribution. So this generation, transmission, and distribution. Um, in several states, starting in the early 2000s, the generation of distribu- the generation of electricity was being uh, deregulated. And what that means is it was being opened up to competition. So whereas a hundred years ago. Uh, you know the industry uh, and, and the government really handed out a series of monopoly charters, saying, "Hey, big utility, we want to make sure that every every single home in this state has electricity. We want to make sure that that electrification across the us mm-hmm. is is done well. And that was a great thing. Uh, but now there was you know a call for for breaking up some of that monopoly power. Let's actually introduce some more competition so we can focus on things like energy efficiency, renewable energy. And getting uh, you know more innovation into the you know whole energy grid, right? Um, So kind of identifying that we realized that there was significant savings potential um, in several states in in almost every market that we were that we were talking that we were looking at, um, where residents could choose who their electricity provider was. And today, you know, what we're working on in in our thesis is that uh, whereas the the sector today is benefiting from a lack of transparency. We want to prove um, that transparency is actually the way to go and the way to uh, kind of bring um, a lot of benefit to residents that are living across the U.S.
1: So in in its simplest um, form, you are now bringing a uh, scalable, easy to use technology platform for the average resident or the average person to buy their electricity know what they're buying and know they're getting it at the best price
0: possible. Exactly. So, you know, we have an online marketplace for residents to save upwards of uh, 40% a year on their electricity costs by choosing a cheaper electricity provider. Wow. Um, So we're live right now in Texas, Pennsylvania, New York, and D.C., um, and we've linked in uh, 15 of the nation's largest electricity providers as uh, kind of providers on our site. Yep. And, and it really is as easy uh, as, as a kind of five minute process of entering your address or zip code. Yep. And then we're able to model your home's exact electricity usage based on, you know, a lot of different data that we take in. Uh, and then based on that, recommend you the best electricity plan for your home. I
1: love it. Um, how, are, uh, you, how, how are you thinking about getting uh, your product out to the masses? What's your distribution?
0: Yeah, so that's a that's a great question, and something that we um, have been developing, um, you know, a strategy around for the last couple of months. Um, so we've been doing, you know, a, a couple of different things. Uh, so first is uh, a lot of uh, you know digital advertising, um, just to make sure that we are slowly starting to build a brand uh, for ourselves, um, and we'll be you know very specific about where we target. Uh, but a lot of that is done through. Uh, you know, various ad platforms. Um, the one that we're really excited about is a lot of distribution that we're starting to do through real estate. Um, so, both through real estate technology companies and brokers. And the idea um, is, is we know that electricity is a, a boring, tedious thing that residents have to deal with. This is not top of mind, this is the bottom of you know, the pile of your bills, and you have to pay it. Yep. You need electricity. We want to be part of a checklist of things you have to do when you move into your home. Yep. Everyone has to set up electricity. We want to make sure that every resident in the state of Texas and the state of Pennsylvania is getting the best deal right from the start. And what we're doing uh, with, with a couple companies um, is you know for multifamily apartments, uh, we're able to get right into the pre-resident process. So when a resident is signing up for a tool that you know, manages everything in the apartment, you'll have to set up electricity um, and you can do it through log Right. And we're able to pull in data from the companies that we're working with that say here's the square footage of the home, here's the name of the tenant, et cetera. So it's a, as frictionless as possible and, and really uh, a, a three-click process for a resident to set up their plan. So for like
1: Graystar that has 50,000 plus units, you might sign a contract with them, their residents are now, and really for anybody listening, If you are moving into newer multifamily product now, it's almost table stakes that the place offers an application for you to open your door, turn on your lights, and has a, as a List of options to make their life better. So, if you were to sign something with Graystar,
0: immediately, you'd quote unquote, have real estate on their app for fifty thousand units. That's okay. exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So Zigo is one of the companies that we we started working on this uh, with, and so we we are right now doing a uh, nine thousand unit pilot um, in Dallas, which is which is really exciting. And we're you know right now we're learning a lot. Yep. We want to make sure that our timing of messages is correct. That we're getting a lot of feedback from users and identifying what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, uh, you know, because this is uh, not a very, you know, intuitive thing to be able to choose among several different electricity providers. You right. know, most of the time you just think I get electricity and it comes to my home and we want to keep it that simple. We yep. know that you want your lights to turn on mm-hmm. and you want to pay as little as possible. Right. And we want to make that happen. I love it. Our states that are currently regulated, it is that,
1: mean they will be regulated for the rest of time, or are we going to start seeing more deregulation across previously regulated states?
0: That's a great question. I think we're, uh, we're starting to see a trend in several states. So Texas actually kind of led the, led the charge um, in the early 2000s with deregulation. And what's happened since is a lot of states will kind of deregulate as a, as a bundle. Um, so a lot of the Northeast deregulated together. Um, several Midwestern states um, deregulated together as well. And so right now there's there's 14 states that are fully deregulated uh, for for residential choice, um, 17 that are deregulated for commercial, you know, so so in- inclusive um, there's 17, um, and there's several states that are kind of running experiments to determine. You know, one does this actually increase consumer choice, and two, does it bring down the average price of electricity? Right. So, are we increasing competition, and are we actually helping the end user right. um, that we seek to help? You know, Michigan um, is is pretty close. Nevada is introducing a proposition into uh, uh, the 2020 election. California, as I had mentioned earlier, is running all these community choice aggregation experiments, um, and with you know several issues that are affecting PG&E, there um, is is actually. Pushing a little bit faster to determine um, if if they should deregulate, you know, for the residential sector. Um, so what we're you know hoping to prove um, with the work that we're doing now is is to be able to show because we have a complete data set of how the market is functioning in a state like Texas um, or, or New York to say hey, if you do this correctly and you actually bring transparency to the market, it actually does bring down the average price of electricity by almost 30%. It actually increases renewable adoption in states uh, where you can now buy into a renewable plan without having to worry about installing solar on your roof. Right. And and the combination of do- those two things, uh, you know, we're hoping we'll be able to take to state legislatures, you know, in a couple of years. Yep. And be say, this is how a proper market functions. We can help you achieve that. Let's go forward with, deregulation.
1: One of the things that's always been fascinating every time we've talked, and and even in the short time on this podcast, you are so data-driven. And in a world that's just full of data, how do you know what the right data is? And
0: how do you know when previous good data is no longer relevant to you? That's something that I I talk a whole lot about uh, with my co-founder, Ben Hood. Um, So Ben has been um, a data scientist and product manager for the last decade or so, wow. uh, building several machine learning platforms for U.S. intelligence community and you know, cybersecurity companies, uh, uh, mainly in the D.C. area, um, and so he's really driving um, our uh, data intensive effort to make sure that one we're getting residents the best plans, and two we're pinpointing your home's usage and being able to pinpoint the best plan for you specifically. So. We collect uh, a whole lot of data, um, and, and a lot of our engineering team's focus is on making sure that we, we keep the relevant um, data that can be used to determine what would really impact, you know, someone's decision about choosing an electricity plan. Um, so, for example, we, we capture a lot of information from Zillow. Mm-hmm. Some of the big pieces of information that matter to us are the square footage of the home, determining, um, you know, the number of residents that might be in the home. And then some, you know, interesting data that we've recently found is is pretty valuable. Is the date that the home is built. Yep. For example, if we know that a home is built before 1970, you likely don't have insulation in your home, and that actually impacts your energy consumption. Yep, it will actually co- take you more time to cool and heat your home, um, uh, you know, if you don't have that installed. So there's actually a lot of these things we're learning. Right. Um, you know, as we as we capture this data and make these recommendations, that we're getting better at over time, um, and you know, that's that's also you know part of the idea behind a lot of the you know, the term machine learning is is thrown around a lot, right? right? But but what we're trying to do is be able to improve our model over time um, as we understand that, you know, we recommended a resident this plan and actually it reduced their electricity cost by over 45%. So what is unique about that home that we can then learn from and apply to other homes in that same neighborhood, for example?
1: So once the electricity, once uh, a user has chosen to go with you and the electricity is on in their house, what constant feedback are you getting at that point, or what data are you getting at that mm-hmm.
0: point? We're we're doing a couple of things. So from the electricity companies themselves, we get the residual um, usage data from uh, from each of the Got tenants it. or homeowners. Got so it. we're on. We know you know uh, what your monthly usage um, is. Um, and then based on that, you know, we can start extrapolating out what the next 12, 24 months will be. Um, and we also will you know, soon start taking into account weather patterns, right? Summer usage is obviously much higher than uh, winter time um, and certain weather events could also dramatically impact uh, what that usage is. Um, and then the second way that we're capturing a lot of this data is, is many of our residents uh, will upload to us um, their electricity meter data. Um, so there is a data standard that the Department of Energy uses called Green Button. Um, and almost every resident um, in the state of Texas has access to it, where you can create an account, and and most meters now are are smart meters, um, so you're able to see hour by hour electricity usage data. It obviously does not, you know, m- mean much to the average resident, and uh, you know we know that not many people are are so interested that they're going to be, you know, interested in, in in publishing that back to us, uh, but. We're kind of working on creating a, a portal for every single user so you could almost have a, a dashboard for your home wow. and understand your home's energy profile um, and, and you know the idea is to, to have that all available for the user to be able to make decisions about kind of any energy decision you need to make in your home. So right now you know we're starting with electricity because it is the single largest saving potential kind of tool we can offer to a resident right, right? on average 360 dollars. After that, we're, we're really excited to be able to get into solar um, and be able to recommend, you know, if you install, uh, you know, solar with Sungevity or Vivint or Solar City uh, or Tesla, uh, you know, here's what your payoff period will be based on your home's exact usage profile. Um, and then finally be able to do the same thing for home energy devices. So an a Nest thermostat, a power wall, LED light bulbs. Uh, what would be the payoff you know, time period for each of those decisions and why should you do it? Yep. Um, and and everything is very specific for your home and you know, you'll be able to see this for no cost at all yep. to the resident. That's
1: really interesting a uh, an energy dashboard for the house. I'm I'm always thinking of things like that and then trying to extrapolate uh, five years out if if well one, I've never even heard of somebody having a dashboard for their house. We don't think of the the home as like this control center. I can only imagine if you're successful in creating a dashboard, What other things could pop up on that over time that you will be able to control and provide value to the customer
0: with? Right. Yeah. I I think that we're we're pretty excited to kind of learn from customers what that is. Uh, You know, I think one thing that we have to be aware of is Ben and I are huge electricity nerds, uh, but we cannot uh, just build uh, what may be interesting. Um, I think I think this is a really iterative iterative you know, process. And and since we are consumer focused, uh, you know, we're doing a lot of surveying to understand what do people want to see? Uh, what do people want to know? Um, and then based on that, you know, define our roadmap out, you know, for a couple of years.
1: So solar has been a hot button, a hot topic for a while and uh, Moore's laws in, in full effect. And the cost of solar is achieving a price at which it's profitable without government subsidy. Where are we in that story of solar and, and what do
0: maybe the next five years look like? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's really exciting, you know, the direction that, that solar has gone. Uh, there's several states. So California recently, uh, required that every new home that is built, uh, requires solar panels oh, wow. uh, to be, uh, you know, part of, uh, the construction. So states are, are doing incredible things, uh, when it comes to solar generation, you know, when it comes to big, big, uh, you know, Farms uh, mm-hmm. that are that are generating several megawatts of power. Uh, but the the trend, I think, especially in younger generations, is to be very conscious about where your energy is coming from. And so I think you know two, two big things that that I think that will be you know, impacting the industry in, in the next couple of years is one is is the concept of distributed generation and you know, more residents having access to control their own energy production, not only because of, uh, you know, the incredible efficiency of solar panels, but also the improvement of battery technology. Um, and the ability for consumers to be able to go and actually choose between you know, a power wall and Samsung batteries and, and various ones that will actually be you know, right next to your AC unit outside your house. And you'll be generating solar during the day. Um, and unlike before, where you need to be either using it immediately or pushing it back onto the grid, right. you can now store this and it becomes wow. your you know, electricity supply for you know, the rest of the night or for you know, one or two days. And, and the future of, of something like that Um, I think is when you have a whole neighborhood um, that is, you know, say they buy into a co-op, everyone has solar and everyone has batteries. You could have a marketplace within a neighborhood itself where you may be uh, at work all day, uh, but you're generating solar and you're storing it in your battery. You might be able to sell that to your neighbor. Um, who is home all day and, you know, has a home business and there's and uh, a lot of activities going around and they need a little bit more power than is being generated from their own panels. So you could have these you know, much smaller markets uh, where you're having several hundred transactions mm-hmm. happening between homes every single day um, and you're truly, you know, what people call off grid. Wow. So I have to ask, how would WattBuy play into a, a marketplace like that? So we we would love to be the infrastructure behind okay. you know a kind of marketplace like that. Cool. You know where, where we're able to facilitate the creation of you know a whole you know an entirely distributed um, neighborhood uh, where residents are able to kind of interact. You know the whole process is kind of taken care of for you.
1: In something like that, will uh, right now if you buy a Tesla, actually I don't even know what I'm the full answer to this, but you do they give you a home elect uh, a charging station?
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, with, with most of these electric cars, you can pay to get an installation in your home, um, you know, for a, for a charging station, but
1: as electric vehicles become more kind of mainstream, is there a race to kind of own that electronic charging station at the house, which I can imagine will be hugely valuable to someone like you that is trying to provide infrastructure?
0: Yeah. Um, there, there definitely is a race and you know, the, the, companies themselves are working on building their own proprietary charging systems, right? So Tesla, for example, you can charge, you can get an installation done directly from Tesla, but, you know, you might also be looking at ChargePoint, which has the largest, uh, you know, kind of network of charging stations around the world Mm -hmm. to be making, uh, you know, that installation for you. Um, And all of these things will start impacting how energy is used in the home. You know, whether your, your vehicle may be able to push electricity back onto the grid.
1: One of the reasons I love WAPI is we all need electricity. Yep. It's uh, You're right, it is, it is boring, but it's something we talk about, and certainly if you're saving money or doing something better with it, it's kind of like a viral dinner table conversation. I just saved money, I just figured out a way to do this, I'm conserving more energy. And uh, yeah, I love the space you're in. It might be boring, but damn, it's a big industry and <laughs> it has a lot of potential. In your words, how would you say the the future iterations of WAP by what might be something that's um, super interesting that
0: you're working on? You know, we're we're operating uh, with with a you know thesis that says we want to make this as much of a do-it-for-me process as possible, kind of exactly you know, based on, on on what you just said, we need this to be frictionless um, and easy um, and and proving its value to residents at all times. So one of the things that we're working on right now, and this is a lot of the you know, data science work that we're doing, is to be able to create a system that would sit on top of the whole market. So you know, in a state like Texas, uh, residents can actually choose among 109 different providers for their electricity. Too much for any resident to be able to you know, make a decision among. And you know, even when we present our plans on our site, uh, you know, we want to show you our top three recommended. We don't want you to have to go through a list of you know, 300 plus plans. So to that end, what we want to be, uh, be you know, what we want to offer to residents is a essentially a subscription uh, plan where WattBuy would be your energy provider, and you would not have to worry about anything happening in the market and all the choice that you have. We might switch your provider five, six, seven times a year in the background. You as a resident really couldn't care less. Yeah. Uh, we are just making sure that we're getting you the best price at all times without you having to. Uh, do anything Um, you know so right now we made a a very conscious decision for this to be a manual marketplace uh, where you enter your address and you choose your plan uh, because we know there was a lot of distrust um, and and mistrust um, in the industry you know as we prove out that we are a trusted broker of electricity in this market uh, we want to make this as frictionless as possible for residents
1: if you're trading uh, providers in the background and I've subscribed to the service could the price go up or is it capped on the up and only goes down or?
0: So uh, I think that's some of the things that we're working through. I think what we would love to do is be able to uh, smooth out your electricity costs for a, you know, for the next 12 months. Right. Um, and, you know, say, you know, we, we settle on, based on your home's usage, uh, $75 a month is, is what you'll pay. Right. Uh, if you happen to use less, uh, we could provide a credit back to you. Yep. Um, um, you know, so that so you're rewarded uh, for being energy efficient um, and using less than, than we had expected. Got it. Uh, but just always making sure that your price would never be above right. $75.
1: And for the, the utility providers that are signing up with you, you're kind of saying hey, if you want to access to your growing customer base, so I'd imagine every new customer you add is more value that you're providing the potential utility which helps drive down the cost cuz you they have bigger access to more users and so the it's a, it's kind of the network effect. The more users, the more valuable because you can negotiate better with the
0: utility companies. Yep. Um, that's, that's, um, you know, definitely the case. And, uh, you know, what we're trying to help with, uh, you know, in this, in the subscription world, um, that would be the future, um, is to have a more efficient allocation of customers in this market. Um, so less than 30% of residents who have the choice uh, you know or who have the ability to choose their own provider have done so yep. um, so there's a lot of folks that are still kind of part of their legacy utility and playing paying their you know same bill and those are the residents where we can get the maximum savings potential got it um, and the, the ones that we can help the most but you know what we want to be able to do and you know this is a lot of you know the the discussions we're having with with our customers um, the utility companies um, is to say can we create a more efficient allocation of customers um, and, and and you know we, we want to do it right uh, yeah. You know, we're not we're not going to be switching a you know a, a single resident a hundred times a day. Right. Um, you know, we're not trying to cause any disruptions in the grid because that's actually a you know pretty serious thing that we also need to consider. But we want to make sure that we are providing the best solution for both utilities and uh, residents, uh, making sure that we're creating a very efficient market uh, because right now it is you know based on inefficiency.
1: This is a question I've always wondered, and I'll try and ans- ask it really simply. So there's one electric line coming into my house, right? If Reliance sending it to me or Ambit send, how does it know like whose electricity it really is? It's, I, I, I imagine this like electric highway where little electric nodes are passing each other going, hey, I'm on my way to Chris's house. Like you can't go there. He just bought me. How, how does it really know? And, and why would it be priced differently?
0: So uh, that's, a, that's a great question. So uh, from the resident's perspective, this is essentially an accounting change. You are paying a different electricity provider for your electricity, but the electricity coming to your home may be generated by someone totally different. Uh, The way that that I like to think about it is when you put money in your bank, you put $1,000 in your bank, you are not getting the exact same $1,000 back from that bank bill by bill. That bank took that money, did you know? Maybe loaned it out, did you know? Uh, a couple of transactions with it, and you get a different thousand dollars, but the cash is cash. Right. At the, in the same way, electrons are coming to your house. Yep. It doesn't matter who is producing those electrons. So what really happens is, you know, a lot of the providers and suppliers we have, uh, you know, some of them are generators, so some of them actually have generation capacity. A lot of them are actually just resellers. So they are buying electricity from wholesale markets at you know a certain rate. And then packaging it up into a rate plan and then selling it to you as a resident. So your electricity may actually be generated by, by another provider. Um, that electricity is being, putting up, being put onto the grid by uh, the generator. And then you know, for you know, in, in the Dallas Fort Worth area, Encore is the big uh, mm-hmm. transmission and distribution company. So they're the ones that is actually carrying, they're the ones carrying the electricity and bringing that to your home. So, you know, the way that they do it, um, and, and I'm not, you know, too, too experienced in the actual details of how they do it, uh, but they essentially have a demand schedule for uh, this is how many megawatts of electricity we will need tomorrow. Right. And they tell the generator to say, you need to produce this, this and this, and this is how much you are going to get paid for. And as a result, they put that electricity onto the grid and then that's then sent out to all the homes in the area.
1: So is some electricity better than the other? Why would one utility provider, assuming that it's not like a variable versus a fixed, but two fixed plan, 12-month plans, and and they're all constants, they're both not renewable, it's just a... Why would one be able to
0: charge five cents more a watt than the other? So they um, are, are doing um, several different deals with several ge- different generators, um, and um, essentially are hedging their bets on what electricity pricing is going to be in the near future Got based it. on all sorts of things from weather events to, uh, you know, the cost of renewable generation to the, you know, price of oil and coal. Um, so so they're all essentially hedging their bets on the direction that markets are going. And then based on that, are able to create rate plans. Um, and then part of their uh, decision is, is also based on the expected volume of customers that they will get out of that. Um, so now, you know that we're operating with them, we're starting to factor into how many customers, that new customers they may be getting, in a, you know, in a given month, um, in the next twelve months, etc.
1: Got it. We'll switch uh, switch gears a little and just talk about building a startup and entrepreneurship. And I think our our friend James Bashara was here the other day, and he he quoted Elon Musk and said that uh, a startup is like chewing glass and staring into the abyss. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what has been your experience in building this? How, how many people do you have now working at Wapai?
0: Um, so, so we have uh six, six yeah. working.
1: And, uh, between your first startup and this startup, what are the early stages like?
0: It, uh, it is, it is tough. Um, yep. It is, it is uh, a very kind of challenging undertaking um, where, where a lot of the times, especially early on, you might be making several decisions a day or several decisions a week that will impact the direction of your company for the next 10, 15 years. And you can't know every single time whether you've made the right one, yep. uh, which which is uh, you know a little daunting. Um, I think when you start off, but I think that's why the most important thing uh, you know that that Ben and I had going for us is a. A very strong conviction or a very strong thesis on, on what we believed. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of our North Star that said that we will make decisions that are focused around that. Yeah. Um, and you know, that was, you know, what, what, what I mentioned before, um, the focus on transparency. Right. That we want to be able to bring transparency to a market that currently benefits from the lack of it um, and also increase renewable adoption along the way. You know, that was kind of the core thesis that we wanted to start with, um, that we wanted to build um, a company around you fall down several times a day early on. Um, and and you know, still today, uh, you know, many many things will happen. And I think, I think one of the big things that, that I learned um, early on is, uh, or, or one of the kind of qualities or characteristics that I think are, are super important uh, is, is resilience. Uh, so ideas are a dime a dozen, uh, you know, even uh, intelligence is, is a dime a dozen, and, and you will have a lot of smart people working on a lot of incredible ideas. But uh, if you're unable to get back up when you have the inevitable series of setbacks that everyone will, uh, then it will be very hard to succeed. Um, so, so that was one thing that you, know, you kind of quickly realized that you need to you know, build up and be able to kind of weather uh, any you know, partnership that doesn't pan out as planned, uh, you know, any uh, you know, set of investors that say, you know. After several discussions, hey, this is really interesting, but not for us. Right? Um, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but there will be kind of several times where you have to prove to yourself, really, more than anyone else, um, that this is uh, uh, there is a real problem in the world that you want to be bringing a solution out for, and you truly believe in the solution for X, Y, Z reasons. And it's hard
1: to convince people that because if it had been done, it would already have been achieved. So you're right. telling people of something that has not been. Uh, done the way that you're going to do it before.
0: Exactly. There's a, it's a chicken and egg problem. And, and, you know, if this is so great, why hasn't it been done before? Right. Um, that you have, I think you have to be able to answer yourself, you know, before you go out and and pursue. Yeah, that was, uh,
1: in, in our early conversations, I would have to say it was what, if you talk to enough people that have started businesses and I feel, lucky to have started one myself so it makes kind of investing in the startup world wouldn't say easier but you can uh you can read between the lines and and hear i could i could hear through what you were doing how convicted you were in what you're doing it's not my job i'm not in the electricity space so my job wasn't to say if you had a good idea or not it was is he going to be around when you know like you said resiliency when stuff gets tough and that was a quality i noticed Immediately, when you are hiring, do the do the early employees are they are they buying into that transparency um, and and that vision?
0: Yeah, so we're we're you know very open about you know discussing that as our goal um, when we we're when we we're talking to potential hires, um, and and you know we want the reason uh, for for people to join to be you know the ability to to. Bring a good solution out in the world, and and have that focus on transparency. So yeah, it's been um, kind of pretty receptive, and now we're trying to do a lot more messaging, uh, you know, in our in our product and on our uh, uh, you know site um, and and everywhere um, to show that this is um, who we are as a company. So I think we're we're finally at the stage where we're starting to focus on um, you know the culture that that we have as a company.
1: Got your money raised, or at least most of it, right? that's challenging early on trying to run a business and raise capital at the same time. Um, how did you find, what do you think about raising capital? What's your experience been?
0: Uh, yeah, so, so that was, uh, you know, the first time I had, I'd really done that and it was a very enlightening process, um, to kind of go through. I think it was made a lot easier for us because of, um, the accelerator that we went through. So this past summer or, uh, Last summer, um, we had done uh, the TechStars Accelerator yep. um, in Kansas City, and the only way that I can really describe it is that it was like CrossFit for startups. Yeah, I've never done CrossFit. <laughs> don't don't plan to, but, uh, but but you know it's a very grueling um, kind of exp- experience for startups to go through, but in the best way possible. You know, you're put in front of almost 200 mentors in three weeks, wow. and you will stress test everything from your, you know, core product to your distribution strategy through your hiring needs, uh, you know, to potential business development partnerships. Um, And just getting so much feedback makes you a lot more robust as an entrepreneur, uh, but also makes your company um, kind of accelerate, uh, you know, work that may have taken one or two years um, get done in a couple of months. Um, And at the end of that process, uh, we felt like we were in a place where it was kind of time to start Um, looking for capital, you know, for the uh, kind of roadmap that we had set out for the next 18 months. Uh, Probably went through 70 or 80, you know, conversations uh, with with, uh, investors. I think that I I learned, uh, you know, pretty quickly that it's not only about getting money from people, but also Finding people that you want to work with for the next several years. Yep, um, it's it's very much about having a relationship with your investor as opposed to just getting a check from yep. a person or a you know uh, no you know uh, you can insert any name VC. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know you, you you really want to make sure that the people that you're working with are you know going to be partners and people that that you can rely on for advice um, at at several times you know down the road.
1: Would you recommend uh, anybody starting a a startup to go through an accelerator program, or is it some would benefit, some wouldn't?
0: So I, I would highly recommend I would I would highly recommend it for for young entrepreneurs. Um, I would highly recommend it for people that that are you know have a very good core idea and may need to get a lot of feedback uh, to make it uh, into a company. Yep. Right. So you know when we had um, started TechStars. Uh, you know, we, we had felt pretty good, uh, but there were uh, many areas where, you know, we didn't know which direction to go in. And many, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you're going to find that answer for yourself. No one is, you know, no, no one in an accelerator is making decisions for you. Right. Uh, but when you're put in that environment um, where, you know, in, in Techstars, there were 10 other companies um, that are really, de- you know, struggling with these same things that you are struggling with. Um, and, And it's, it's, it's eerie to see how similar the problems are, but just in the context of a different industry or in a, you know, different solution, you benefit a lot from talking with people that are experiencing the same thing. Um, and, and that was, um, you know, a big help. Uh, and, and, you know, I keep in touch with, with almost everyone in that, in that small class. And then our, you know, the managing director of our program, uh, Lisa Mitchell, has become a, you know, huge mentor to all of us in that program. And, and especially, he, uh, you know, me, I, I relied on her a lot when we started doing, um, you know, fundraising. And, and one of the things that I think really gets um, accelerated um, in that process is the ability to connect with really any investor that you want. You know, A lot of that will come through other entrepreneurs that you meet through that process, but a lot of it will come um, directly from the kind of staff that manage the program, uh, because a lot of them are successful entrepreneurs themselves that have exited one or two companies or ran VC firms. Um, so they know how that world works and they prepare you very well to kind of enter.
1: Was there like a, a one moment that maybe changed the course a walk by or just something that really impacted you that that you would be willing to share yeah
0: um so it was it was during actually tech stars we had you know the way that it's structured is the first three weeks or so you'd get there at um, eight in the morning and you'd have about 10 meetings a day back to back all 20 to 30 minute mentor sessions and we we met with um, a, a ceo of a company in kansas city called zarli um, a guy named bo fishback and he is a Super energetic, uh, incredibly friendly guy. Um, and we operate in, in somewhat similar spaces, or at least had a potential to use a very similar distribution strategy. Um, so Zarly is a kind of home services marketplace. You need anything uh, from landscaping help to move-in services, they'll help you get it with certified professionals. And he, you know, I he he had actually been part of our interview process for Techstars, so he had he had already known a little bit about Wattbuy. Uh, and he sat down there in the room and said, "Okay, in the next 20 minutes, I'm going to change your life." I said, "All right, I don't really know, you know, what's going to happen here, but I'm, I'm all ears. And he has essentially taught us the whole real estate distribution strategy that we are now um, heavily pursuing um, with several different companies um, wow. at the same times. He made, you know, uh, about 20 different introductions to us that have all panned out, which wow. is Uh, uh, incredible um, and has been an unbelievable advisor to us kind of ever since that meeting. So that was kind of, you know, one of these examples of we thought that we were going to go in a certain direction and spend a lot of money to build out a brand and do a lot of advertising and he said, that is a terribly inefficient use of capital. Right. Uh, There is a way for you to catch people at the point where they make this decision and currently you are not doing that. And, you know, the more I thought about it, I said, yeah, you know, we are kind of aimlessly I'm um, yep. trying to capture customers. We did not really have a strategy around it. I think we had just convinced ourselves that because, you know, a hundred, 200, 300 customers had come in at that time, we kind of figured it out. Uh, we really did not know why. And so, you know, with, with the ability to work um, directly with real estate, we you know started determining that there was a much more efficient way to go about, uh, you know, providing our service.
1: That's fascinating. All right. Um, we'll, uh, We'll ask a couple personal questions.
0: What is the best book you've ever read, and why? Oh my, f- my favorite book of all time um, has to be Dune by Frank Herbert. Um, so that's a you know science fiction epic. It, not not really known in the same category of Lord of the Rings or you know Harry <laughs> Potter, or Star Wars, uh, but uh, it's it's incredible, incredible novel uh, that that goes you know the, it it has everything in it from personal relationships to politics to you know leadership Uh, it just kind of has it has so many different stories that that go through it I actually read it about once a year. Wow yeah I'm gonna check it out what is the best advice you've ever received? Uh, It's from a a guy that was a a high school teacher of mine uh, where he he said uh, it was kind of in passing but it's it stuck with me for a very long time Uh, he said be kind work hard and think. I love it. It's very simple advice, uh, but I think uh, it has driven a lot of my kind of life philosophy. Um, you, know, you know, I think especially working in a space that is a bit of an older legacy, you know, industry, I think humility is a pretty big characteristic that, that any entrepreneur needs. Um, you know, also making sure that you're putting in, you know, 100% of your effort.
1: When do you take time to think?
0: <laughs> we, uh, we
1: we talked about this at, at at length on the last episode of the podcast. A really good friend of mine and just said how it's we believe it's one of the most undervalued things in the world. Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett say they sit for four hours in silence every day just thinking. And um, you know, the world has gotten to a place where obviously through the cell phone and just it's it's hard to get away from something trying to be in your face and just think for yourself. So do you have certain times you do it or how do you think about that?
0: Uh, one of my, how fa- do you think about thinking? How do you think about thinking? Exactly. Uh, well, I think one of my favorite uh, times to do it is actually uh, on an airplane um, where you are, you know, 30,000 feet above the ground. Uh, you know, just don't buy Wi-Fi, and, yep. uh, and, <laughs> and you are actually in this kind of, uh, enclosed little space where all you can do is think um, and so I'll end up you know trying to do a lot of thinking and you know a little bit of reflection um, yeah. you know on on plane rides uh, but yeah I, I think I think it's something that I hope to do you know a little bit more of uh, you know as, as time goes on because you know you wake up and you start working and it's the last thing you know that I'm doing before before I go to sleep right um, and you know we have an engineering team in, in India as well. So you know we're we're doing some late night calls, early morning calls, making sure that um, you know sprints are getting done, um, etc. So so we you know do um, I think make sure that we carve out you know various times. So you know Ben and I, for example, will do a you know much longer call every Sunday, um, or you know meet up on Sunday and and make sure that it's not really focused on the day to day. Yeah. Uh, but what is, you know, how, how is what we're doing fitting into the vision? How is it fitting into, um, you know, what world we want to see five years from now? Yep. Wow. That's powerful.
1: What, uh, you, you met, you mentioned a word sprint. Is that a short term goal that needs to get done quickly?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we, we have the, you know, two week engineering sprints, right. Where we have a you know specific goal on what we need to do. There's maybe, 15 to 20 different, you know, items that need to get done, QA'd and released, and at the end of that, we'll start the next sprint. Cool. Um, and, you know, Ben will run um, the sprint review as well. So at the end of it, we see, you know, what what went well, what didn't go well, um, and what do we want to work on next? Um, and, or, you know, what do we want to improve on as a team next? Right. Um, so, so you know, Ben, I, I, I rely heavily on Ben to make sure that uh, we're, we're executing well on the product side. He's, you know, been a, a product manager for several years. So, you know, in in addition to uh, being my my co-founder and our CTO, he's also a you know huge mentor of mine. As you know, I, I don't uh, you know have a technical background myself, right. um, and so so I learn a lot through him.
1: That's great. Partners need to. Uh, have a good counterbalance yep. when you're building something new for the first time and, and even thinking about these sprints is it difficult to communicate like what you want because it, it's i'm assuming there's some things you can go see and see it's been done but there's some things that you're trying to communicate something that hasn't been done how do you guys think about that
0: you know so so we'll have a process where we identify you know first uh what is the need that we're solving for right um, what are the various use cases um, that, that we need to uh, um, solve for? And then based on that, what is the solution that we want to implement? What we're, we're kind of at a stage now where we're able to um, heavily A-B test and experiment and run several multivariate tests on every single thing that we want to implement. Wow. Whether it be um, a, an entire you know, new design for a results page um, to the color of a button. Right. That we're going to be changing. And, you know, there's there's several different software suites that you can that you can use now, optimizely, Google experiments, etc. And so, you know, our goal is always to see what changes can we make or what improvements can we make to imp- improve the customer experience on the site? Right. How can we get people closer from going to what to choosing a plan? Successfully on our site, right? Um, so everything is geared towards: Does this change actually increase our conversion rate? Does this change inclu- in, include include uh, increase the click through rate for you know X Y Z?
1: Are there times where different customers are seeing different screens? So you're uh, that's the A B
0: testing, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So you know one one user might you know so for example recently we were testing uh, the impact of having an autocomplete for your home address on our homepage. Um, so you know for for a very long time we just did it by zip code. Uh, because it was it was a little bit easier um, for people to enter. Um, And then we actually found out we were running through issues where if you lived in an apartment and you didn't enter your apartment number, all of a sudden it became this kind of messy process where we'd have to go back and forth to make sure your utilities are set up properly because the utility needs to know exactly what apartment you're living in. Right. And we kind of finally found a way in which we can make sure that users are entering their address uh, you know, on the homepage. And we started rolling that out. So after we you know, do an experiment and see the data come in over the course of two weeks, we'll make a decision on is A the right solution or is B the right solution and then right. do and implement that.
1: Wow. Well, man, this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, I really appreciate you coming down and spending some time with me today.
0: Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. This was great.
1: If you are on planet Earth, you probably need electricity. And I would highly recommend going to wattbuy.com and looking at a plan that might suit you better and put money in your pocket. Naman and his team are building out an incredible product that I really think is going to change the way the average consumer takes in electricity. And I couldn't be more excited to be a part of it. So thank you. Thanks, Chris. Hey, everyone. It's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review for us on iTunes. It will help more folks discover each episode. You can also reach me on Twitter at Fort Worth Chris or our email at thefortpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.